Good morning. Today's passage is Psalm 62, which I'll be reading in the English Standard Version. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. We are close to concluding our, our brief study in the Psalms for this summer, and uh, this is just a... Really blessed, many people's, among many people's favorite songs. And actually, Becky, Becky pointed out to me this morning, just by looking, just search for Psalm 62 on Spotify. So many recording artists have composed uh, versions, musical versions of Psalm 62. Check it out sometime. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall? tottering fence. How long, you people, how long will you not give me rest? Uh, the psalmist says, you know, the persistence of some enemies or adversaries or opponents will wear you down. Have you ever, ever felt worn down by someone? The persistence of some adversaries will wear a person down hoping that eventually that person will cave. You know, if, if, if we just press him hard enough, if we just lean on her long enough, she will eventually cave. Have you ever felt like it, that someone, not only, not only did they not like you, but you felt it was really personal, like you felt like they were doing everything they could to make things difficult for you? Not just that they didn't, didn't like you, but you kind of felt like they had an agenda to bring you down, to compromise your situation. Maybe you felt like that before, maybe you felt like that in junior high, or maybe there's somebody like that at work, or someone in your life that just, just can't let you uh, breathe for a minute and enjoy yourself. Or think on a larger scale, more culturally, um, have you ever felt like there's some type of overarching value in society, 
or a cultural norm that, that, that is, is like a tide, just sucking everybody into it. And you, you find that your neighbors and the people around you are, are becoming adherents, that, that this prevailing agenda uh, keeps claiming uh, new followers, but you are trying to resist it. And the more you resist, the harder it becomes to resist. I'm not sure if you felt that way. I think, think some of you probably have. Maybe as a leader or, or even as a parent, you have felt the relentless pressure that people, that values are just leaning on you, pressing in against you. And, and it's a lot to bear up under, isn't it? And you feel tired and you say to yourself, how long is this gonna go on? How long do I have to resist? How long do I have to lean against this pressure, applying my weight so that it doesn't knock me over? Kind of like when you're at the ocean in the waves. You know? How long must I resist? This is why we look at the Psalms every summer. It's why we go through a handful of the Psalms every summer, because listen, unless you and I learn how to cultivate some degree of spiritual resistance, we will not be able to withstand the external pressures and the internal pressures that are upon us in this life. We will eventually cave. But the 62nd Psalm's perspective for the believer, if you're a Christ follower, this Psalm's perspective of your hope, it, now it may seem at first counterproductive because this is what it is, that God's strength and his help are communicated to you in silence and waiting. Not normal in this world. But actually, God's salvation is communicated to us through silence and waiting. That's the norm. The clouds don't often open up. The earth doesn't normally shake. The bushes don't normally burn. It's often that in our stillness and our silence, the Lord communicates his strength and his help to us. And we're gonna talk about understanding that, understanding God's salvation in Psalm 62. And when I use the word salvation, I want you, want you to understand what I mean. Salvation is your future hope. God will save you in the end, okay? That's very true. But the Bible uses the word salvation in a much broader sense, holistic sense than that. Salvation is not just God saving you in the end, it's God helping you right now. The New Testament teaches us to look at salvation as a whole. The New Testament talks about salvation in the future, but as you read the Psalms, the ancient Jews were like, Lord, we need help right now. All right, so God's salvation is not only a future redemption, it is a present help and hope. So we're gonna talk about understanding God's salvation for yourself, but also imparting God's salvation to other people in your life. Okay, taking what you understand and then imparting it and blessing others with it, and then finally, abiding in his salvation. Abiding in his strength and help. Those three things, understanding his salvation, imparting it to one another and to our neighbors, and then finally, abiding in, not letting go. Okay, so understanding God's salvation for yourself is going to be a recurring need in your life. If you're a Christian, understanding God's salvation is never a one and done Christianity 101 type of a thing. We need to remember the importance of God's salvation as long as we live. 
In silence and in waiting, spiritual resilience is cultivated. In silence and in waiting, inner strength is developed in the believer. Look at verse one. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. See, he's saying there's no other real salvation out there, as we heard Avery say to the kids. God is the only true source of salvation, and so my hope is in him. I'm going to wait for him in silence, even though everybody is leaning on me right now, is leaning against me, trying to make me fall down. Now, when you think of David, if you're familiar with his life from the Old Testament historical books, you know that there are many things that David might have done while his foes were leaning on him. Okay, And scriptures show us that there were many things that David had the authority to do, that he had the spiritual gifting to do, that he had the experiential wisdom to do, that he had the skill and the ability to do very talented, very competent leader in many areas of life. A lot of things that he could have done, a lot of things that he was able to do, but he learned long ago from tending the sheep, and he learned from running away from Saul and hiding for his life in cave after cave. And he learned from being the youngest son that there's a hidden strength to waiting. There is a hidden strength to quiet waiting. Kind of like how in the darkness, some of your senses are better honed, the kind of senses that you don't normally use in the light, are far more focused when you find yourself in the dark. And when you look at David's life, I think that if it weren't for Goliath, if it weren't for Saul, if it weren't for David's own mistakes and sins from which he had to learn painful lessons, I don't think David could have ever withstood the greatest test of his life, which was his son Absalom's betrayal, who tried to steal the kingdom from him, and almost did. How would David have stood up against his own son leaning against him if he had not learned in the dark places with Goliath and with Saul and with his own sin? But strength, he learned, comes from God alone. That's the thing. That's critical. You see that his strength comes from silence and waiting, but he knows it's God. It's this inner strength, but it doesn't come from within me. It's an inner strength that comes from the outside. I am strong in God alone. And so he says in verse two, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. It's another one of these confessions in the middle of a psalm. I am weak and God is strong, he is saying. Think of it this way. He's saying, I am a leaning wall, I am a tottering fence, but God is a fortress. And why not learn to say that to yourself? There are probably plenty of times that maybe in the next week that you can say that to yourself from Psalm 62, just a personal confession and profession of faith. I am a leaning wall, I am a tottering fence, but God is a fortress. Say it to yourself. Remember it. Now, how did David understand this? How did he come to understand this? And how did he have just enough composure to not cave in such a situation? Well, look at verse five. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope comes from him. Do you see what he's doing? 
Okay, so he's just, the tense is different. He's not speaking in the indicative anymore saying, you know, my soul waits for God. He's speaking in the imperative. Oh, my soul, wait, oh, my soul. What's he doing now? He's meditating. He's shifted from this is the way things are to saying to himself, no, you believe in the way things are. We have to now, at least for a time, talk about Tim Keller in the past tense. Um, but Tim Keller's definition of meditation was talking to yourself about God. Trying to offer different definitions of meditation as we look at the Psalms every summer. But David is doing this now. He's not talking in general, he's talking to himself. He's commanding himself to wait in silence for God alone. Now you say, and I know a lot of Americans think this way, and if you're extroverted or if you have attention deficit issues, you say, how can I be silent? I can't shut my mouth. How can I, how can I wait? I cannot sit still. I, I, I get it, I get it. But you know what? Meditation fills the silence. Meditation guides your waiting. Yeah, it's really hard to say, I'm gonna shut up and say nothing and do nothing and wait. I, I can't do that. Okay, then you don't have to. Meditation gives you something to do. It fills the silence and it guides your waiting. So discover God's strength and help in your stillness, not in your busyness. Okay? Now, here is the natural progression to understanding and appreciating God's salvation for yourself. You can impart it now to others. You can impart it to your kids or your grandkids. You can impart it to your coworkers, to other Christians, and to your neighbors. Imparting to others the hope of God's salvation is the natural fruit of really understanding it for yourself. Once you have meditated on it and you have spoken to yourself about the truth of God's salvation, you are now ready to impart it to others. It is, because, it is because David was in touch with himself that he can, in Psalm 62, finally in verse five, impart wisdom and blessing to the people of his nation, to the people that were in his charge. And so look at verse eight. It changes again. Trust in him at all times, O people. You see now, he's not talking to himself anymore. He goes from, he goes from the indicative Trust in God to the imperative, now you trust in God's self, and now he's speaking to everybody else. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I don't know who said this, but I heard it was said, I can't remember who said this, you cannot bring others to where you are not yourself. You cannot lead others beyond your own level of maturity or peace or wisdom. You cannot expect your children to relax if you are constantly stressed out and overwhelmed. You cannot lead other people into maturity if you are unwilling yourself to learn wisdom. One is able to lead others, to teach others, uh, to help others after doing the deep inner work themselves. This is why meditation is so important in our biblical life, in our life of faith. From a position of stillness, 
you will be effective to speak to others and to lead them. I'll say that again. Because we think, no, I gotta go get my master's and my doctorate, and I need to go get that certification, I need to go get, I need to go complete the class, and then I could be helpful to people. Well, it's not that any of that's not true. Of course, all of that is true. You couldn't be a nurse without going to school and getting certified, and we're all grateful for, for that, right? What I'm saying is this, until you have done the deep inner work yourself, you're not gonna have something beneficial to share with one another. This is interesting, you, so I don't know if you've heard of Eugene Peterson. Uh, he, he died several years ago. Uh, he was a pastor, actually he was a pastor in Maryland for many decades, but, but he became a prolific writer. And, and pastors call him the, a pastor to pastors in his writing. His writings were profound. And, and I feel like, never met him, but I felt like he pastored me just as I read his books. Um, now, now, I would say that this bit of advice I wanna share with you, it doesn't just apply to pastoring. I think it applies to any type of leadership or parenting or, or if you, no matter, even if you're young, if you wanna have a positive impact on other people, okay? Um, if you wanna be a blessing to your, your classmates and your teammates and your friends, this is, this is a great concept. Eugene Peterson uh, said that, that effectiveness in your ministry, in your service, effectiveness depends upon stillness, not busyness. And of all the illustrations he could have used, he went to Moby Dick about the crazy whale and Captain Ahab and, and all the sailors and, and all this stuff. And, and he quotes Moby Dick and he, he says, he quotes Herman Melville, to ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart, the, har the harpooners of this world must start to their feet from out of idleness and not from out of toil. Now that's interesting. If the harpooner is just as exhausted and tense as everybody else in the ship and in the rowboat trying to catch this whale, if the harpooner is as wrought and exhausted and stressed out as everybody else, they're gonna go home empty-handed. He's not gonna be able to hit his mark. Let's use a different illustration. Have you ever noticed a baseball pitcher is almost completely still in order to throw the perfect pitch? Wise parenting, sound leadership, effective witness, if you are a Christian, these require some degree of calm. Oh my soul, wait in silence. Somehow you have got to find silent waiting. And I know some, especially young moms are like, Brian, you have got to be kidding me. I know, I, I get it. But you have got to find some, some rhythm of silent waiting with your heavenly Father, or you will miss the mark as you are called to minister to one another and to the people in your life and to the people in this, in this community. Oh my soul, wait in silence. Somehow you have to find that end and you have to afford it to one another. Spouses, listen up. This is not just about you finding rest, it's about you being able to afford it to your spouse. 
It may be about you not only finding personal rest and focus, but affording it to the people that you serve with, the people that you work with, the people in your life that are impacted by every move you make and every decision you make. Psalm 62 is not a license for laziness or selfishness. If you are always needing other people's attention and other people's help, when are they going to get to sit still? We have to think about that. So, just as you must find an understanding of God's salvation in your own quiet stillness, you must help others discover God's strength and health in their stillness, not in their busyness. Our society is addicted to busyness. And our society is allergic to stillness. The psalmist goes on in verses 9 and 10 to say, so his focus shifts, and he, he says, look, people, whether they are of low estate or high estate, are just a breath. Our lives are just a breath. Whether you're mighty or whether you're nothing, people's lives are just a, you can only trust and help in, in people so much because our lives are just a breath. And then he goes on to say uh, that things like extortion, which is basically oppression, you know, like bullying your way, forcing your way to get what you want, he says, extortion, don't put your hope in that. Set no vain hope on robbery, stealing. Um, you know, and then he finally says, put, he, he says, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. So why does he talk like this? Right? Like people are just a breath. Even the mighty are just a breath. Don't, don't, don't rely on extortion and robbery. And look, if you're doing well, if you find yourself successful, don't, don't trust in your success and in your wealth. Why bring all of this up? I think this is why. Because these things, extortion, robbery, success, wealth, trusting in people, these are the ordinary means by which people seek success and power and safety in this world. These are the ordinary means by which people try to avoid suffering. Ours is a very busy culture in which we live. Very busy, very productive in work, and very productive in rewards. And what I mean by rewards is not just wealth and stuff, I mean leisure and personal rest. I mean the kind of rest where you completely tune the rest of the world out. So our culture is very productive in work and in rewards, but, but that doesn't produce wisdom, does it? A, a culture that is busy about productivity and rewards does not produce wise people who flourish regardless of their circumstances. So if you find that the system is leaning against you, whatever the system may be, whether it's a school system or, or the government or a group of friends, if you find that the system is leaning heavily on you, or if you find that some opponent, somebody in your life is leaning on you heavily, or maybe it's a personal interfere. It is something that keeps you up at night and you can't let it go, and it is leaning on you, and you feel like a tottering fence under the weight of this fear, right? You are more likely to give in if you trust in the ordinary means by which people seek success and avoid suffering. 
And listen, that's the method deployed against you, whether it's your spiritual enemy or whether it's just the way the world operates. But it's an intentional, strategic leaning, persistent, overwhelming pressure. And the thinking is, she will eventually cave. He will eventually give up. But the ordinary means by which God communicates his salvation to us, this is fascinating. They are not weapons. They are not wealth. They are not some philosophy or even politics. Listen to how, and theologians call it the means of grace. The ordinary means by which God communicates the benefits of his salvation to us. Listen to this drum roll because you're not going to be overwhelmed and amazed. God's word, the sacraments, which are baptism and communion, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And you know, the ancient Israelites were like, wow, look at all the nations around us and all the hocus pocus and all the stuff. Why don't we get all the stuff, God? And God's like, you have my word. You have my word and you have myself. Boring. Boring. And yet, the word of God and the sacraments and prayer are the means by which God communicates his salvation to you. And that is why David's strength in that moment of weakness was founded in meditating on the word of God in prayer. These are things, the word of God, the sacraments and prayer, these are things that require stillness and, and silence and patience to appreciate. This isn't a grab your travel mug and your power energy bar and drive to work. This is I must be still, I must be quiet, and I must wait. Abide in these things. Will you not abide in these things? What are you resting in? What are you abiding in? What are you trying to surround yourself with as a fortress? Will you not abide in these things as your fortress? The word and the sacraments and prayer? This is how we understand and appreciate God's salvation. This is how we understand his help and his strength. These common means of grace that are packed with his divine guidance and blessing. Verse 12, he says, not only does the strength belong to God, he says, to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. This is a powerful phrase, steadfast love. Unlike the world's means of help that, as we've already seen in verses 9 and 10, will eventually fade away, God's love is steadfast, he says. That means his love is unflinching, unwavering, unfailing, unflinching. Christianity teaches that one human being never flinched. One human being never caved, never relented to the pressures of this world to the pressures of a physical body that is bound to decay, to the pressures of real anxiety from danger, 
to the temptations of sin, even from Satan himself. God's son was pressed by Satan in the desert to take the ordinary means by which people gain power and avoid suffering. And as he leaned on Jesus and leaned on Jesus and leaned on Jesus in the desert place, Jesus never caved. But instead, Jesus set his face toward the cross. As Isaiah said, I will set my face like flint. Jesus set his face to the cross his whole life and his whole ministry, and he endured it in self-sacrifice. And, and that... That moment, realizing that there's no greater help or hope than in this man who never once caved, whose soul always waited for God alone in silence, it's from that stillness, from the stillness of Jesus that our salvation comes. That's where it all comes from. Jesus' ability to wait in silence, even when his heavenly father did not answer him to lift that cup from him. So wait for once, be still and wait. Rest, we discover, rest is not simply a state of being. It's not simply a mental state. Rest, rest is being in the presence of a person who offers it to you. Come to me, we read earlier. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavenly laden and I will give you rest. Remember what I said earlier? One cannot bring others to where he has not himself gone. The Son of God, when he offers you rest, it's because he has been there. It is because he alone has access to it. And what a wonderful thing that the Son of God invites each of us to be with him in his rest. Now you accept it. Don't reject the invitation. While it's offered to you, take it. His strength and his help are communicated to us in our silence and in our waiting. So discover his strength and his salvation in your stillness, not in your busyness. And as Chevy said to us a few weeks ago, Mary and Martha, right? It's not that Martha was worried about unimportant things. It's that she could not distinguish between busyness and rest. And so Jesus said, hey, Martha, your sister has chosen the better option. Now, don't you refuse his invitation to sit at his feet and learn the spiritual discipline of waiting in silence. Understand his salvation imparted to one another and abide, abide in Christ through his word, through his sacraments, and through prayer. And I think you and I will be able to cultivate a lifestyle with the attitude that agrees with the prophet Isaiah who said, this is the Lord. We have waited for him and let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess that it is hard to wait. It is hard to be still. It is hard to be silent. We do not know what to do. 
Our bodies are jacked up on everything. And our minds are flooded with images and ideas and plans and insults and fears. Oh, help us to breathe in your presence, Father. To breathe in your truth and revelation and breathe out blessing and encouragement to one another. And to breathe out truth and grace to our neighbors. We dare not trust, Father, that this strength can come from us, from you alone. You are our rock. You are our fortress. And our soul waits for you alone. Amen.